WSU College of Education professor Joy Egbert has received a Fulbright Specialist Award and in March will spend three weeks in Macedonia. It's not the first time Joy has traveled abroad for Fulbright. Many years ago, she traveled to Russia. Since that time came more experience and more wisdom, an outlook that Joy recognizes will help her on this trip. She talks to us about the impending travel, her theories on immersive language acquisition, the role of a mentor, and what makes her an agent of change, all while she's on a sugar high. Education Eclipse starts now. Education, news, and research. These are the conversations happening inside education, athletic training, sports science, and sport management that are going to transform each. It's Education Eclipse from Washington State University. Here on Education Eclipse with Joy Egbert, Professor of English Language Learners, as well as Educational Technology. And before anything, Joy, I apologize. We haven't had you on yet. That's uh, my mistake. I was looking through our podcast and, of course, three years we've been doing this and you're one of the more published writers here in our college and you're doing some cool research. So we dropped the ball on that one. So Zdravo is what I learned was hello in Macedonian. We don't usually start that way, but we're going to start that way today because the good news, the timely aspect that I want to bring to our listeners' attention is that you have been awarded a full, like a Fulbright Specialist Award, a trip to Macedonia to do some, some neat work there. So that's going to be a three-week trip in March. Why don't we start with what that trip is going to include and then maybe a little bit about the Fulbright process. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm negotiating with my colleagues in Macedonia about the, what they want me to do. The focal point is a plenary at a conference that they're having at their university. And then they ask me what else I'd be willing to do. And of course I'm going to be there for that length of time. I'm willing to do anything. So they're working up workshops, thinking, uh, talking to their colleagues and seeing what kind of classes I might go in and teach or uh, what students I can work with. So I'm really excited that there's so much opportunity there to really get with people in the university and hopefully outside of it. Yeah, three weeks, uh, if you're willing to be there any length of time, I'm sure by the end of three weeks you're going to be going, man, I wish I could stay for three more, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I love Eastern Europe. Well, I'm going to be in Taiwan um, at a conference, doing a conference for the week before too, so it's gonna be quite a trip. I think I'm gonna to have to submit a proposal to the dean here at the college that you need a photographer to be with you. <laughs> I, that would be great. We, we keep yeah. having people in our college go to Asia. Right now, uh, we have some that are in Nishinomiya in Japan, and, yep. and I always get these blurry cell phone photos back. I said, here, calm guy, you know, take this and do something with it. Well, yeah. we need some good photos, so. Yeah. Uh, maybe Macedonia sounds sounds pretty nice, actually. The weather's going to be great. Uh, March is perfect. you got to send postcards while you're there to everybody. Will say, do. hey, look where I'm at. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> have you been to Macedonia before? Because you've I done have. a lot of traveling. Right. I've been in Eastern Europe and the Czech Republic, a lot in the Czech Republic, and also to Hungary. But I haven't been, and Russia, of course, but I haven't been to Macedonia. So you've been close, yes, but not quite, yes. not quite there. So you've never exactly. been to Greece or no. any of the Balkan Mm-mm. states. Okay. Now you mentioned Russian. Yes. Um, you have some background in in Russian. So mm-hmm. tell me about that. My bachelor's degree. I thought I was going to be a politician. Well, we all know now that that would not have <laughs> worked out in any way. So, um, but I so I changed from poli sci to Russian because I thought maybe I'll be in the foreign service. I really wanted to do to get around the world if I could. So I studied Russian and that's a good thing because in Macedonia the um, alphabet is Cyrillic. So I can read all the signs and, well not read, but understand the letters of all the signs. So now I just have to get some vocabulary and I'll be set to go. 
Yeah, I don't understand any of the signs, so <laughs> I'm I'm relying on that Google Translate thing where you hold the phone up and it it automatically tries to translate for you. Not probably the safest thing to do while you're driving. That's a hard way to get around. Yeah. So tell me about English language learners because I mentioned you're you're a professor of English language learners and educational technology mm -hmm. and. And I think uh, for a lot of people, English language learners might be a new term mm -hmm. um, because we used English as a second language when I was growing up. So ex right. just explain that. Well, and before that, it was limited English proficient. Ooh. Well, exactly, because <laughs> then the acronym is LEP. So they're lepers. Oh, no. Right? They're <laughs> terrible. They're outcasts. Yes, the exactly. And then the. And they probably feel like that too when they have to be taken apart. You know, it's like the scarlet letter. Here's exactly. the child that doesn't quite understand. Well, and some government do. agencies still use that term, which is unfortunate. Mm, um, others use ESL, which means English as a second language. But unlike most Americans, people from other parts of the world grow up speaking several languages. It could be their native language, the um, standard language of their country, some their family members, um, also some kind of tribal language, and then they're learning English. So it's not English as a second language, it's English as a who knows what language. Yeah. So that now the term is kind of a blanket English language learners. Um, some people have complained even about that term because all of us are English language learners. I was an English, I'm still an English language learner, right? I read, I don't understand all the words, so I'm learning. Um, so they're, they're still looking at different terms, but it means the students who are not proficient in English yet. You're also an educational technology mm -hmm. expert. That doesn't mean you understand every bit of technology. Correct. Uh, but explain what that means, the intersection between technology and mm -hmm. education. Yeah. So it means that I'm deeply invested in the principles that we use uh, for technology use that leads to language learning or to learning in general because sometimes I mix the fields and sometimes I don't. Um, when you know that it's not the technology itself that makes the difference, that it's how it's used, it makes a big, uh, it can change the way you teach and the change the way that you think about technology. And that's kind of my goal, to help people say, how can this technology lead to learning? And um, on the way there, how does it engage your students so they want to use it to learn? So give me a hypothetical, let's just say a high school uh, in Kelso, Washington. You know, what's what's a real world example where this might apply to you know something that they're learning the educational and technology intersection well it depends on what the goals are but say for example that they're supposed to um, learn say the standard is to understand about germs and microbes in the environment okay so one of the things you need to think about is how best can they learn that before you think about the technology so it might be well to do some kind of a investigation in their environment so there's a creek nearby the school let's make that the focus okay so then what can we do so what do we need to do well we need to consult with some scientists to see what the best way to look at that water is to determine so let's go online and fix ourselves up with some kind of conferencing tool to meet some scientists to bring them into the class uh, over the technology then um, let's see once we understand that we need to look and then take uh, count of how many different kinds of microbes there are well how can we take that count best let's use a spreadsheet to do that um, who can look at our results and say what's going on in that stream well let's find somebody at the state uh, department of health and see if they're willing to look at our so we'll email them so the technology use is a direct result of how to best and most effectively get to our, or most efficiently get to our goals. Of course, even in public relations world, you know, one thing that I, I tell faculty members when they're preparing a pitch to media is, 
is find something that that the general public is interested in or mm -hmm. would understand mm -hmm. and you know sometimes that's a pop culture type situation because if a journalist is really attuned to what their readership or, or viewership likes and you're able to draw some kind of connection now all exactly. of a sudden uh, they're interested and they know that they could sell that to the, the readers, viewers, listeners mm -hmm. uh, because those people would be interested and I just thought of this but you you were doing something a few years back with Minecraft yeah, uh, because, still, uh, I'm still doing okay, that. Yeah. You're still doing that because Minecraft, it turned out to be uh, something that was hugely successful. There was an interest there. And so how do we captivate this audience that already has a, a like for something? Exactly. You know, tell me about a little bit about that just because it was, it is a, an example of using something that's... Well, so I was using it as an um, environment, a learning environment for my teachers, pre-service teachers who are learning to be ESL or ELL teachers and they also were interested in using technology to teach language. Um, so I figured, well, let's do it in Minecraft as an environment to show them how things can be integrated. So every week we had a lesson um, that ended up with them doing something in Minecraft. For example, um, learning how to, so I gave them they had to go find with their group and they, they couldn't talk to each other. They had to type to each other. So they were learning the written word, um, a, tr a trunk. And inside the trunk were three random items from Minecraft. And they each took one and they had to have a conversation that integrated those three things. And to make that conversation, they had to, they had to develop the conversation on the computer. So it was a really thinking and writing, and um, then they gave their little play to the rest of the class inside of Minecraft. In other words, uh, we're tricking students sometimes yeah. into learning because yeah. they, they're not worried about, oh, this is going to be boring, this is going to be hard. Right. They're not focusing on those things. They're Correct. focusing on something that they already like. Well, and that's one of the principles of engagement, and that's kind of the theoretical basis I use for everything. I love it. In a pre-meeting that we had of sorts, meaning it was by email, uh, you had said something that stood out to me and I, I, I thought I'd bring this up because I think it will go into the next point that we make, but you had mentioned the first time that you went somewhere under the Fulbright program, you, went, you had gone to Russia. The faculty at this, this school where you'll be, this university in Macedonia, is the Blaise Kineski faculty and, and he was a Macedonian poet and a linguist and a writer. And so they're very proud of their heritage. For, for somebody who's an American coming from a wealthy nation and we have technology, don't always know how to use it, right? Because we're still doing research. Right. Uh, it's ongoing. Uh, but to, to parachute in somewhere and, and tell folks that they need to do something that's different or better or whatever, how, how, do, you, how do you manage that so that you, you don't come off as all-knowing and all-wise and they're not? Right. My first trip to Russia, I thought I was expert and all-knowing and I think that I did help, but I could have helped a lot more if I had listened um, to what they were asking for. Now, um, the difference, one of the differences is I'm older and wiser and I've been a lot of places and I've kind of learned to listen better. Um, I have a lot of answers, but if I don't know what the questions are, I can't be answering them just you know, off the top of my head like I did my first trip. Um, the other thing is that in the Fulbright Specialist Program, they ask for something specific. They say, we need someone who can do this and this and this. So you kind of have an, a knowledge going in of what it is. And then I've already started inter interacting with my peers, my colleagues in Macedonia saying, what is it that you need? 
what, what can I bring? So for example, they said, we don't have a library at our university, and we don't have these, this and this kind of technology. So I said, okay, what kind of um, books or what kind of articles or journals would you, do you need? I'll see what I can get. So I'm waiting for them to send me a list. So I'm, I'm using my expertise as much as I can to answer the questions that they have instead of me making up the questions and the answers as I go. This university, I, I looked it up and it said the at least enrollment was about 50,000 students. And when, when I heard, no, uni no, no university library, right. this isn't, just because most of us haven't heard of the university, doesn't mean it's like, you know, the North Dakota Institute mm -hmm. of Hospitality Management or something. I mean, it's not obscure to them. It's a big university <laughs> right. without, without a, a library. But there's only 2 million people in Macedonia anyway. So, I mean, that's not a big population. So they're relatively poor, um, part of the breakup and all those other things. So, I mean, they're going to get there. They just are, need to... Um, get help from as many people as they can, and I'm happy to be one of them. You said you were older and more wise, so yes. how, I mean, how young were you when you went to Russia? Uh, the first time I think I was maybe 20. So you were probably pretty brash. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. For the listener, that was about eight, nine years ago. For... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. It was a, it was a, I mean, I was there for four months that time, so it was a very eye-opening experience, and you know, when you first do those kind of things, you just don't know what you're getting yourself into and what the world really looks like. Uh, and it's the same thing that a lot of the students who come here say, oh, you know, from TV in my home country, Libya or Saudi Arabia or wherever it is, I thought blah, blah, blah. And then they find out it's not that way. So <laughs> it, it was the same for me. Well, I wish I could put my current self in my 20-year-old looks and body. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Know what we know to now, know we then. Know, yeah. yeah, now, but back then, yeah. uh, that would be phenomenal. Amazing. Uh, but there, you know, there are lived experiences that right. we have, and I don't know if you feel the same way as I do. I, I mean, there are things that I guess I would I would do differently if I went back, <sighs> but I don't regret some mm -hmm. of these because it does play into who I am now, and I at least feel like here at the university within the stuff that I had originally been in, which was sports broadcasting, you know, I, I'm now in a role of mentorship and, mm -hmm. and that's something that I see out of you. And um, I previously mentioned to you that I, I see you with students more than I see any other faculty with students. That's just the case, especially graduate students. Mm -hmm. Tell me about mentorship then. I mean, how, mm -hmm. how important is that to you and, and why has that become something that you invest time and, and, and effort into? Well, I think in the back of my mind, not, not um, explicitly, but I'm always thinking about that, this kind of engagement. So how can I engage my students to learn as much as they can, that they want to learn, and some of the things that I think they need to learn, but it's not my place to say. And that is just by engaging them in whatever I can do. So for example, um, a couple weeks ago, I had a big Halloween party at my house. Well, how are they supposed to learn about Halloween if they don't experience Halloween? So I invited them and they came and it was, something that they're still talking about because it's an experience <laughs> that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So I think that every experience they can have, whether it's um, going out to dinner and helping me order Chinese food or um, sitting in on someone else's defense, um, as long as they're treated like it's important for them to be there and that we appreciate them being there and we treat our graduate students as if they are colleagues instead of inferiors, that it makes all the difference in what they learn. And I, I 
have found that to be true for most of my students, that when they graduate, they remember those kind of things like, I wouldn't have learned as much if I hadn't got to do this and this and this. You know, I speak fluent Spanish and it, it required me living in Argentina, actually wow. living there and, and it, was, uh, it was an incredible experience and I, I truly believe that an immersive experience leads to more of that um, language expertise. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that, that your graduates would have learned about Halloween from Wikipedia that, right. that would have helped them in, I think, their language skills, but they, they certainly right. will remember that, and it'll help language, too. Well, and I've know. taught several of them to drive, <laughs> just because that's new vocabulary, and it's uh, a new way of thinking about things in a Western way, right? Because those driving styles are different in every country. Oh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, some people would say, oh, you do too much with your graduate students, you know, you're too friendly with them. But for me, it's I'm engaged with them in whatever it is. And if a trip to a conference that we're driving to together or um, teaching them to do, um, you know, eat a different kind of food leads to an academic discussion about remember when we did that, remember how engaged you were and they they really feel like they're living the theoretical framework that I want them to absorb. That's that's you know, boost them so much in their academics. So it's just a different way of thinking about how our students can and should learn. From my perspective, it creates a positive impact. As we move forward, we've just started dabbling in, in uh, a new campaign that we're calling Agents of Change. We're moving forward with this. Um, obviously, our listeners are going to hear quite a bit more in the coming days and weeks and months. But what would you say makes you an agent of change? Uh, several things. I think that one of the things is that I, over the years, I've learned to be open-minded and listen to those questions. And I have enough information from reading and researching and, and being around the world in places that I can answer questions in different ways. I can say, well, in this place, they, they would think about that this way. In this place, they think about it this way. So, you know, from your background, what makes sense to you? And let's try to put this together. Another thing is that uh, I have a lot of research out there. And those two books that we just had that we made, they're ed tech books, that are open educational resources can help people around the world, since they're free and they're easily accessible in a PDF format, um, to change how they think about teaching and then, you know, as a subset of that, how they think about technology use. And not worry if they have the newest and greatest stuff, but to think about, um, oh, I have a smartphone and all my kids have smartphones. We don't have a projector or anything, but what can we do to meet this goal? You know, how can I make it easier? Boom. I mean, that's, it's a big change in learning and I hope an effective one. So. And I think a lot of people can identify with, with how you use the technology that might be a parent and they have a child with a, a phone, yep. a smartphone. Uh, that's a constant battle is to, to make sure that they're using it in the right time at the right place for the right amount of time mm -hmm. and not being sucked into to something. And right. that's a struggle because you want to use it as a useful tool, not just, you know, simply a, a time waster. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I can't control what goes on with kids outside <laughs> of school, but in school I can right. help them make sure it's uh, they, they're using it the best of their ability. Actually, we did a, a project with one of the local um, elementary schools. We had two second grade classes and we taught the students how to use Ozobots, so little tiny robots and how to sure. code and stuff. And so instead of going home and playing something else that they usually play, they wanted to take the Ozobots home and learn how to uh, correct their mistakes and do problem solving and debugging. So, I mean, there are ways to make it even interesting enough that they'd rather do that, that learning 
task with the technology than whatever they were doing just to fool around with the technology at home. As a conclusion, so today you're, you're on a sugar high. We had Bunt Cake competition. <laughs> yes, um, which was something that, that our former colleague Kelly Ward had started. And Kelly, in her own right, was a, an agent of change. So we did this in her honor. It's something that she had started. So just tell me, you know, in terms of Kelly, what kind of impact did she have for you as a faculty member and, and how did you see her as an agent of change? Well, I saw Kelly as a really kindred spirit, but she just knew how to say things that they didn't come across in, a, in the, they weren't taken in the wrong way, but she got so much done. In fact, um, right before she had her accident, she was at a meeting of the Teaching Academy, of which I'm a member, and her ideas were I mean, duh, right? It's like, we didn't think of the things that, she, and she's like, I'm willing to support that, or I can support that, or here's how we can work together. So she always had ideas. The other thing on a more personal level is that um, we used to walk like she did with everybody, you know, go on exercise walks on a bi or tri-weekly basis. And she really was honest about whatever, if you asked her a question, she answered honestly. Um, and if you, wanted to know, you know, deeply about something, then she would tell you. So I think by her being so honest and forthright and willing to just not compromise on things she knew were wrong um, was not only a great model, but she made, I think, me and other people think about um, how, how to go about things in a, in a different way or a more effective way, maybe. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. I thought I'd ask you that because we just got done with the Bunt Cake competition yeah. today. Uh, in her honor, and so, uh, well, Joy, do you have anything else you you want to add? Because you ha you have the mic, you've got the baton, you can run with it now. Um, I think it'd be great if uh, on the podcast that you could put the links to the free books, the OER books. We can do if that if people want to get those. Um, These are your Pulitzers, you know, <laughs> your Pulitzer-inducing. Yes. If you're listening, some of the many, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, to. I mean, and share with their teachers and yeah. get the word around. I mean, anything that's, they were previously published by Pearson and by um, TESOL Incorporated. So they've been published books and we updated them, you know, this year. So uh, anything to help. And I think, you know, spreading the word of those kind of resources that are free and useful will really help. I agree. Well, Joy Egbert, uh, WSU professor and English language learners, ed tech expert, a mentor, an agent of change, an author. And off thank, to Macedonia. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe in Macedonia. Have a lot of fun. And, and let's not wait for three more years to have you back on. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to Education Eclipse, a College of Education podcast from Washington State University.